unilateral declaration of independence at 21 and marched out of home, armed with two suitcases and my bonsai fig, which I still have. And after 40 years of a very fraught relationship with my father, who redefined tyranny for many years, 40 years precisely, my father decided to restore relationship properly with me, and the initiative came from him. The second 40-year period is that, by God's grace, I committed my life to Jesus exactly 40 years ago and joined this fellowship 40 years ago. So it's an interesting season of restoration and wholeness. In October, the Lord said to me, in fact, in September, I want you to go down to Cape Town and take Jesus to your father. And I went into complete meltdown because my father is a Jew. And to talk about Jesus to a Jew can be highly offensive. The irony of this situation is that as the born-again believer, the only one in my entire family, other than the Messianic Jews on the Jewish side, I'm the only one who honors my Jewish heritage. The rest, really, for them, it's irrelevant. So I fought the Lord on this. I didn't want to go. I kept thinking, oh, come on, you know, how am I going to deal with this? And I then phoned my stepmom a month later, and she put the kibosh on it. She said, no, we're too busy in December. (laughs) This did not please me. She and I have also had quite a fraught relationship. I then phoned in December, having discovered that my sister and her husband were going down, and they weren't too busy to receive them. And my beloved father, who is in early dementia, said, Hello, my darling daughter. Well, this is miraculous. Hello, my darling daughter. When are you coming to stay? So I had the the fleshy response of going, yes, and said, well, Helen actually said you were too busy. (laughs) Anyway, the long and short of it is that I went down with much trepidation and not quite knowing how to bring Jesus to this Jewish man who's now in early dementia. Several incredible things happened. The first thing is that my beloved ex-husband, Vyslav Yerzy Soglovsky, had, we have to say it, had posted a card for Dad's 90th, which was in July last year. He posted it in June, and it arrived just before I was due to go down. Thank you, South African Postal Service. So I took, not knowing what the card was about, I took the card with me, and on the night of my arrival, I put the card in Dad's lap, still in its envelope, and he opened it, and there was the most beautiful depiction of Van Van Gogh's almond blossom. Beautiful, beautiful, blue background with these almond blossoms. And Vyshek had written inside to Dad, the almond blossom is highly significant because it is the festival, it is the symbol of the festival of first fruits. It's the first festival in the Jewish calendar, Tu B'Shavat. And the Tu B'Shavat Seder, or order of meal, is a beautiful celebration, very similar to this, where four cups of wine are drunk and where certain fruits are laid out. And it's all about thanking God 
for the first fruits. And we know Jesus is the first fruit from the dead. And in fact, the Hebrew words said are the same words that were said at Pesach. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu, and then that's praise God for the fruits of, and then you would talk about the wine and the bread. Dad sat with this card on his lap, and he, he teared up, which he doesn't do, and he was deeply moved by it. After that, he opened a bottle of Verve Clico, yes, and stood up and went, Lachaim. And I answered, Baruch Hashem, which means praise God. And he then started speaking to me in Hebrew, and he started quoting the first words that are said at the Pesach Seder, which mean, why is this night different from all other nights? Well, that was phenomenal. Not only was it an amazing return to his faith, and that's the precursor to acknowledging Jesus because he's rejected Judaism since he was 16 because he was persecuted at Great College in Bloom. But it's also such an acknowledgement that this visit to him was very, very special. So it was a remarkable time, absolutely remarkable. After a day and a half, I hadn't had an opening to talk about Jesus, and I was in a panic and I said to the Lord, oh, what do I do now? And the Lord said to me, be the book, don't throw the book. Just be the book. Thank you, Lord, that released me. Just relax. Just be there and love him. And there were other special, special moments. He lives in Bishop's Court, and they have the most beautiful view of the mountains. And he said, don't you just love this? And I said, Yes, Dad, I will lift up mine eyes. And my stepmom said, Unto the hills from whence cometh my help. And then we were all saying, My help comes from the Lord. And this was deeply moving. It was a remarkable time. There was great healing. My dad said to me, Did you know, my darling, that I chose your name for you? I mean, this was just incredible for me. So there was a wonderful healing, and a healing with my stepmom too, a very, very blessed time. And what came out of it in the end was that I believe it's prompted Dad to be restored to his Jewish roots. It's prompted my stepmother to think about the Lord, because I started talking to them both about Messianic Jews, and she was fascinated. And Dad said, what do you mean? Do you think do they think the Messiah is coming? And Helen and I said in unison, no, he's coming back. And Dad said, oh, what nonsense. <laughs> but it's, he's God's work. It's God's work. So I want to thank those of you who actually prayed about this special time away. And I just came back on a complete high, knowing that God has done a remarkable work of restoration. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. And I just want to share a portion of scripture that's actually been life to me this week and for a couple of weeks, actually. And I'm really um, sort of pondering it and meditating it and making it real in my own life. And it's from Titus chapter 2. And it says, starting from verse 11, 
For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a peculiar people, zealous of God's good works, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. And just three words in that, in that um, portion of scripture. Deny ungodliness, live we can't move out of the world, we're in the world, and look. So it's three words that I've hidden in my heart. Deny, live, and look. And I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Good morning. I just want to share something. What, what did you say, Amanda? You with me? What did you say? Don't throw the book at him. Be the book. Paul says in Galatians, um, it's chapter 1, look it up, verses 15 and 16, somewhere around there. When it pleased God to reveal his son in me. Reveal his son in me. It's not just speaking about the scriptures, it's revealing the Son Himself. And that's what you were called to do. Just be the presence of God in the midst of every situation in which you find yourself. One of the great things that undermines our use of the scriptures is the fact that we do not reveal the presence of Christ himself. We speak about it, but there's no revelation of it in our lives. In London, a long time ago, there was what was called an oratorical society. Uh, and all those who aspired to be orators, used to gather there. I think it was once a month, if memory serves me well. And they'd all get up and do their thing, the, the objective, of course, being to be voted the best orator of the month. And the means by which they were adjudged on their oratorical abilities was the uh, amount of applause, the intensity of the applause that they received, the duration of the applause that they received. On one occasion, um, a young guy got up, it was his turn, and he got up, and he quoted the 23rd Psalm. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. You, you know it. And he did it so well that not only did they uh, clap for him, they actually, 
he, he, he got a standing ovation. They stood up. And, I mean, that, that happened once every year at best. So obviously in his own mind, he was the winner of the, of the month, probably the winner of the year. When the crowd sat down, it was quite a, a big crowd at this, at this stage. When the crowd sat down, somewhere way back there in the middle of the auditorium, there was a bit of a sort of rumbling going on. I don't recall the name of the guy, but the folk around him were, were saying, come on, John, come on, John. I'm just calling him John. I'm not sure if that was his name. Come on, John, you go up. And you know what crowds can be like. Um, the folk around, because John was very reluctant, he was an older guy. It's only young guys who get up and want to really, you know, present themselves. Um, as you get older, you realize <coughs> you're probably not with it anyway. But the, the folk around, these folk were saying, come, they started in, come on, John. Come. And of course, you know what crowds are like. Even those at the back of the auditorium in the event who didn't know who John was from a bar of soap were saying, come on, John, come on, John. So eventually, and very reluctantly, I might add, John got up onto the stage. And lo and behold, he too quoted the 23rd Psalm. When he'd finished, no one applauded. No one said or did anything. They just sat in absolute silence. And all you heard from various quarters in the audience was weeping. People were crying. Actually crying. Well, of course, that brought the entire event to an end. Nobody in their right mind was going to get up on the stage after that. And the folk departed. They left, and they left in silence. Absolutely quiet. Many of them, men and women, with red eyes, holding their handkerchiefs to their face. John stood up on the stage, a little bemused, didn't quite know what to do or where to go. And as the crowd went out, the young guy who'd got the uh, standing ovation sort of squeezed his way up, got up onto the stage and said to him, Sir, that was amazing. Could you teach me to do that too, please? And John looked at him and said, Son, you know the 23rd Psalm. I know the shepherd. May it be that we know the shepherd. Bless you. Thank you, Anna. I hesitate to share this after, <laughs> after that beautiful thing, but I'll, it's something that the Lord has had been speaking to me about and making incredibly real to me. Um, so the background to this, it's Isaiah. Um, basically, this was a, a stage in the history 
of um, Israel when Israel and Judah were separate nations and where um, Israel, sorry, Judah, so that's Jerusalem, the house of David, um, were coming under attack from the northern kingdom of uh, Israel, uh, which is Samaria, who had in turn aligned themselves with um, Aram, uh, which was, um, I don't know, one of the other nations, Damascus. And it says, when, when the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with, with, Ephra, with Ephraim, so that is uh, um, the foreign nation Ephraim here that is refer, used to refer to um, the northern kingdom of Israel. So the hearts of Ahaz, that's King Ahaz of, of Jerusalem, and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Okay, now the Lord says to Isaiah, go out and meet him. So Isaiah gives him this prophecy. Don't worry, it's only a few verses I'm going to read. <laughs> um, Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart, and divide it among ourselves, and make, and make the son of, of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says, it will not take place, it will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim, uh, northern kingdom of Israel, will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Ephraim is only Remaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. So the thing of this is, the, the king of Judah is, is, is facing this incredible threat. He does not know what to do. I'm feeling nervous, you can see. Um, but the Lord says to him, China, I've got you. I am going to deliver you because you have a destiny. You're in the line of David, which is the line of Messiah. That is your identity. He has not seen he, he cannot see the end picture because he does not know what's going to happen in the future. But he's tied into this line with an identity. Now, for, for us, and this ties in with a few weeks ago and that beautiful song we had this morning, I can't remember what it was, where we were like drawing a line in the sand and saying, devil, I'm going to, I'm going to build an altar of praise and, and praise God despite the stuff that you're doing in my life. I'm just going to praise God and God's going to give me victory. So no matter what, what the, how big the threat is, the enemy that faces us, and there are massive things in my life which I'm still busy working through. Those few who know me know that. So I'm by no means speaking from a place of, of, of complete victory. I'm on the path, like all of us are. But the encouraging thing for me here is that Satan may, might seem so powerful, but, but even if, if all the things that are coming against us, it's only Satan, and God is much bigger. Good morning, church. Um, thanks. <laughs> I praised my shoes off. So... <laughs> 
Um, so in the last two months, I have been feeling hopeless and just defeated by life, overwhelmed by everything. Um, so yeah, it's been rough. Anyways, that's not the point. Um, two, three weeks ago, I was in hospital because uh, I had a severe headache that they couldn't find what the reason was. Um, and then it clicked right there when I was just sitting um, that Jesus is good. And when I'm overwhelmed by life, he is still good. And he is still the same. And my focus must change from what I'm facing to him. And he will deliver us, basically. Um, and then, sorry, I just felt like reading Lamentations, which is a book I've never read before. Um, so I read the whole thing, and I came to this in Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, from verse 21 to 26. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is a good thing Sorry, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Um, And I really felt God saying this to me, and I wrote it down. He said, each morning, I'll give you a new song. You have a choice of either looking at yesterday's sorrows and dwelling in them, letting them steal your peace and your joy, or you can choose your new song today, letting him wash you new today and return to him full of praise Yesterday is truly gone. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. So really, all we have is today. We can choose to honor God today and let him fill us with his peace. Or we can choose to dwell on yesterday and lose on all the miracles of today. I can take two hours because it's the last one. It's okay. eh? The preachers, they have a, a last bit to take. But one thing that I've been actually, the Lord has been speaking to me is it's about the identity. Because I've been coming across where there's a lot of people speaking to me on my life because I'm disparate. I need anything I can get from right now because my baby is not well. But I have a moment of actually picking up where is my identity? Where do I belong to? If you don't know where you belong to, you can easily take it away into another direction. I've had people coming to me, they say, your, your baby's sick, needed to go to Sangomas because you have an issue with your surname. You don't know your surname. The surname is becoming a problem to the African people. If you are not African, surname is taken very serious. They said, if you don't have a surname of your father, you don't have a surname of your mom, that means there's something wrong with you. You must have a set of a surname, your father's surname, that identify you as a man. So if you have a surname of mom, you are not a proper man. Things will go wrong in your life. But surname does not identify who I am in Christ. Surname means nothing to me. 
Here, I know we have Surname, we have Blackman, we have Peterson, we have Gavendas. Those Gavendas are from the earth, but when we're in heaven, we all have one family. We're all going to be called in one Surname, the Surname of Jesus Christ. So, what I want to encourage to you, let's not click on the things that don't identify us in this earth right now. There's a justice there. It's for the government use to know that you are parati. It's got nothing to do with parati, but I am the child of God. So, as we leave this place, know that you have a greatest son name, that Jesus loves you. And when things coming in you, know that there will be no one will actually come to disturb your identity because they don't know where you belong. You tell them, I serve the mighty God, and I'm not going to go to those youngers because I've witnessed what God is doing in my life. One thing, the last thing, prayer and faith, those invisible things you don't see, but they have actually the greatest ingredients in my life. So I'm like this because of prayer and faith. You don't see those things. Amen.